This podcast is here to support your wellness journey through solo episodes and conversations with experts on all things well-being, fitness, and lifestyle. I'm Katerina, certified personal trainer, sports science MSc, and wellness coach. I'm so grateful you've landed here. Now take a deep breath, exhale, and let's dive in. Today, I'm in conversation with certified dietitian, Nazim Fatima. Nazim is super qualified to talk with us. She has a BSc in food, nutrition, dietetics, and an MSc in human nutrition from the University of Surrey. She practices intuitive eating and takes a diet culture-free approach to her work with her clients and patients. I'm so excited to dive in to everything food related with Nazim Fatima today. I have so many questions, so let's get into it. Welcome, Nazim, to the Chilean podcast. Thank you for joining me all the way from sunny Dubai. I know we spoke a little bit before we started recording yeah. about the heat, but let's just say yeah. again for the listeners, the heat is not the same in the UK. We're just not, it's we don't have the infrastructure. Oh my god, tell me about it. Like, uh, it can touch about 50 degrees Celsius in <gasps> Dubai, but I could still survive the weather because it's air conditioned here. Mm. But like back in the UK when I was there, oh my god, the summer was unbearable. It's just like, I, I felt like I was in the oven when I was in my room. It just <laughs> felt like that. A hundred percent. It's so bloody hot and there's no air conditioning. It's unbearable. unbearable. I don't know how you're surviving there right now. <laughs> Truly, I don't know. I'm going to get a neck fan. I don't care what I look like. Fashion is yeah. how <laughs> neck fans are in. Oh my gosh. Oh, yeah, truly. Yeah. <sighs> so, as I mentioned in the intro, you practice intuitive eating, uh, both personally and with clients. So, yeah, I'd love to just dive in a little bit more and understand how you got into this whole space and this mindset that journey from your university studies and to where you are right now because I'm assuming it was quite a nutritional um a traditional approach to nutrition (laughs) what was that kind of transition like for you uh growing up I never really had a you know good relationship with my food and my body so there were times that I used to like binge at a stretch and then starve the next moment to make up for the food that I ate. And, you know, I used to like hit the gym, work out just so that I can enjoy a cup of ice cream. You know, the usual, yeah, the mm. toxic eat and burn mentality. Yeah. So I, that's what I believed what health looked like. Um, and then I was introduced to my course, which is undergrad in dietetics and uh, postgrad in human nutrition, um, which obviously helped to lay a pretty good uh, foundation in nutrition. So the way I was introduced to intuitive eating is very interesting. So in my postgrad, uh, so it's usually like my postgrad is very intense research based. So we usually like review a lot of research papers and honestly I think that was the best part about my course Mm -hmm. and 
there was this uh, one particular lecture that I had about how sumo wrestlers, despite being that large, they are healthy because they are very active individuals. Mm-hmm. And this particular study kind of amazed me. I was like, wait, hold on a minute. There are, there are chances that people who are large could be healthier too. It's not always like, oh, obesity, epidemic, and the whole area of like demonizing people just based on their size. And then I started reading a lot of research paper. And that's how I stumbled upon LEC Rush and Evelyn Tribune mm-hmm. and their 10 principles of intuitive eating. Um, so basically, um, because they've made this whole framework in the 90s, there were so many promising research after that. So it was honestly really interested me and I started applying that in my practice. So there are about like uh, 10 principles. Um, So I can just like quickly dive into each of them. That would be really helpful. Thank you. Yeah. So the number one is reject the diet mentality. So what it says is say no to fat diets or rigid rules around eating. Uh, Number two is honor your hunger. So it it basically means keep your body fed and don't ignore your hunger cues. Number three is make peace with food. So that means restriction often leads to overeating. So give yourself permission to eat all the food. And the next one is uh, challenge the food police. So over here, stop equating your worth to good or bad food that you ate that day. And the next one is respect your fullness. So here is like tune into your body signals for fullness. And sixth is discover the satisfaction factor. So we hear food is an experience meant to be nourishing, joyful, and satisfying. So, you know, just let it be. That's what it is. And number seven is honor your feeling without food. It means find ways to comfort without food, like trying to maybe call a friend or like have a relaxing bath. And number eight is respect your body. So it's like learn to uh, accept your body by remembering your worth. And number nine is like uh, movement. So basically like gentle movement. Don't like movement is not all about um, eat and burn. It's more than that. Find joy in your movement. And number 10 is honor your health. And this is very like anti-diet. The last bit is about nourishing yourself with nutrient dense food mm-hmm. yeah so that's so ten <sighs> principles i mean this is Crazy. just there are like if you get the uh book written by lec rush and evelyn tribune they kind of like dive deep into what 10 principles are and if you are interested in this area you could probably like get that book and maybe read more about it Absolutely. That's so helpful. And I, yeah, I second that. That book is very helpful. It's a game changer for the whole mindset. Because thank you for sharing your journey as well, because that's, I think, not always easy to talk about. Um, Past, I I resonate a lot with your uh, journey as well. Very similar. I do wonder as well, because I did my master's in sports and health science, and I found that I got now on reflection, I think a little bit 
orthorexic if I look up all the things I'm like oh gosh and I think that that did feed into it because I was reading all these papers and I'm like oh my goodness and I've heard that's kind of a thing with people that study nutrition yeah Yeah. so like honestly like I think the, the thing about university is they're just pretty black and white and they they wouldn't really like expand on they can't really touch upon every other topic so they're just going to stick into the basic of what nutrition is and maybe expand a bit on that I think that's why we I think that's why it's very important after your graduation you need to explore that area of like what interest is and maybe really have a habit of reading a lot of research papers and not have an idea of like okay this is what health is I love that and that's so interesting as well because I think often we hear intuitive eating and and some people might think oh gosh well that's anti-health there's no science to back this up but obviously you've said there's since the publication of this book in the 90s there's been a plethora of studies to back up all of this work so that's really good to know this approach is based in science so true yeah brilliant so leading on from that um from my understanding of intuitive eating there's an emphasis on neutralizing the language around food so often we hear oh this is a good food yeah and oh this is a bad food and I know I've definitely fallen into the trap for for the longest time and every now and then I still catch myself and I'm like oh pause take a moment um so I just wonder if there's any sort of advice you could give somebody who's interested in kind of breaking up with this mindset how how do we go about kind of stopping the cycle of labeling foods as good or bad and I know it's probably a big process and just to condense it into one answer on this podcast might not really work but is there something you would suggest um so I would say the the first step is to acknowledge what diet culture is and what it has done to you to me to everyone around you Mm -hmm. um and honestly it's very frustrating because diet culture has taken away our peace our energy away from us and think about it like why are we constantly worried about every little ingredient on a package truly (laughs) just because you want to attain that level of perfection and before you even realize it, you'll be diagnosed with orthorexia nervosa, which is a clean eating disorder. And it means that you're obsessed with clean eating. Um, I would give an example that, for example, you might end up in a party and you just refuse to eat anything uh, because they didn't have a gluten-free option. You know, that happens. And it's not because you're diagnosed with like some serious condition it's just that you have this fear-based belief in you that oh gluten is bad I have been that person so I this is I can't believe that this happened but I was so much into my clean eating that I brought uh, my keto meal prep in my Tupperware to my friend's vegan dinner party she'd made a beautiful vegan curry (laughs) And I was like, hi, can I just pop my um my Tupperware in the microwave? And I sat and she was like, yeah. 
that's like I can I I'm just I'm shocked that I did that it's truly well and I just thought you know that's so normal yeah truly not (laughs) yeah so like that's what that's how you end up saying oh there are certain food that are bad that are good for us so instead of saying like words like junk or dirty or bad you could use more like neutral vocabulary to like actually like to you know that's how you tackle this Mm -hmm. instead of saying um like a salad is a salad that's a more neutral vocabulary or pasta is a pasta that's again a neutral vocabulary instead of saying that's a dirty food because it's high in carbs right yeah yeah so by doing this it has a lot lesser judgment and this will help you to foster a kinder relationship with food and this is how you begin with it's it takes a lot of inner dialogue you know and recognizing it so um i've uh there is this exercise that i like to do on people when they have such thoughts okay so it's a thought reframing exercise okay oh Um, i'm excited (laughs) so to the listeners out there you could use the pen and paper maybe later on Uh, i've used examples over here but here right now you could like just sit and listen um so to begin with there is this unhelpful thought so what is your unhelpful thought so we hear the example would be i should only snack on the weekend and not on weekdays so that is an unhelpful thought yeah so the next step would be to recognize what unhelpful thought thinking style does it represent so here you've used words like should and not like i should only snack and not on the weekends so the next step is how thinking this way makes you feel yeah so you could say you could write down whatever you're feeling like over here in this case it would be i'm really stressed out when i think about snacking so i feel i'm out of control around snacks and and depriving snacks makes me feel very unhappy yeah um so the next one would be um how would you tackle this thought so in this case you could you consider evidence for and against your thoughts here so the evidence supporting my thought would be with facts like here you could consider where my thought has originated so um it i could say like the blogger that i follow online said snacking is unhealthy so you might end up consuming more calories than required and this is where the whole thought is originated yeah so the next one was um what is the evidence against my thought that that would discredit my my thought so here you could write down how your thoughts are untrue so you could write down my thoughts are steeped in diet culture snacking is healthy and it provides me with energy until the next meal um it gives me joy pleasure and extra nutrients to my body you could also write down that my thought is very unhelpful when I demonize food yeah uh, and then the next one would be how would you reframe your thought in a more compassionate manner so instead of saying I should eat snacks only on weekends and not on weekdays now how would you reframe this you could do it by saying I recognize that I restricted snacking for a long time that's why I ended up binging 
So it's more important for me to work on the relationship with food so I can give unconditional permission to eat. And the last bit of this exercise is on reflection. So here you could write down um, how you're feeling right now, how your thoughts or emotions have shifted. So you could say, saying that I cannot eat my snack on weekdays puts me into a lot of pressure on me. So I will spend more time working on food neutrality and developing unconditional permission to eat. So yeah, this exercise is quite amazing. Trust me, like I have this book. I'm just holding this book. It's How to Just Eat It by Laura Thomas. Love it's this a book. Step guide. Um, it has such, I mean, it, it has 80 more exercises over here. So if you're someone who wants to uh, begin with food freedom, this is the best, actually, this is the best book to start with amazing oh my goodness thank you yeah and also can I just also like tell you that we are all born intuitive eaters <laughs> please yes, so, yeah. go on yeah. yeah so yeah like we so I work with a lot of pediatric patients and I have a one-year-old son mm. and honestly it amazes me on how my child can eat a one whole bowl of broccoli one day and the next day he could completely refuse it saying no I don't want to eat that like he would just push it away like it just quite amazes it amazes me seeing that like and he just stops eating when he's comfortably full and his appetite keeps shifting every single day he doesn't eat the same so that's how we all are it's just so unfortunate that as we grow we are taught that we're not supposed to listen to our own body cues and I, I hate that. Like, have you seen Almond Moms? You know what they, you've heard of Almond Moms, yeah? Yeah, the shit. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, oh, that's enough. I think, I think you've had enough. They actually teach you not to listen to your body cues. And that's very, it's, uh, it's honestly, what do I say? It's disheartening. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, and yeah. it's very similar from a, a personal trainer's perspective like we are born into this world movement is a way that we explore the world and we interact with our caretakers Mm -hmm. but then over time we take on all of these beliefs and these messages that oh my goodness you need to just be moving in this specific way to be fit to be healthy which is code for to be thinner Yeah. But yeah, it's it's very similar and it is such a shame, but that is such a beautiful reminder that yeah, we're born into this world. Yeah. Hasn't you? And how lovely to have to be able to see that as a mom, exactly. see your kids. Like, exactly. And I just really nice. hope that he is like an intuitive eater throughout his life. Like he I hope he doesn't rec- you know, start restricting. Well, he's got you as a mom. I think he's gonna be just fine. <laughs> <laughs> So sticking with this concept of good and bad foods, Mm -hmm. clean eating is a term that floats around in the fitness and wellness industries. And I see more and more now, um, even just the local supermarkets, just food packaging saying in bold, MSG free, GMO free and organic. (laughs) So my question to you comes in two parts. First of all, what does MSG GMO 
organic yeah. actually mean yeah. um and then secondly should we be avoiding them or in the case of organic food should we be including them um yeah could you speak to that please yeah so i like dissected one by one mm-hmm. so starting off with msg the msg is monosodium monosodium glutamate so it's a flavor enhancer yeah so it has a very interesting story actually the way how the whole myth started so in the year 1968 dr homing kwok wrote a letter to the New England Journal of Medicine about him experiencing some headache and heart palpitation um, after eating Chinese food, which contained MSG in it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, um, and then he termed it as Chinese restaurant syndrome that later on, you know, went on to being published by the New England Journal of Medicine. It was just the anecdote and it got published. Oh my goodness. I also take this personally. Yeah, I know. Because my parents, yeah, and my parents have owned restaurants my whole life so oh my I'm like, god <laughs> I, yeah. I do I've I've heard like MSG like I've known for a long time yeah. it's quite like culturally I'm like oh yeah, yeah MSG blow. so yeah this is great this is very interesting you did not know yeah. this history so very yeah so yeah I mean that's how it all started and it's quite bizarre because it that guy I think he's started off as a joke probably I don't know he just like went on to writing a letter and it got published. And that's how it all spiraled up later on. People came up with a list of anecdotes after that, experiencing different symptoms. And the thing is, although eventually many studies came out debunk- debunking it, what's unfortunate is that the myth still lives on. It's just that just the other day, <laughs> I came across this video on TikTok where this guy was scrutinizing a product because it contained MSG and I'm like bro you really need to do a bit of research just a simple google search on MSG and the history behind it and that's how you get the answer my goodness absolutely yeah. that's wild to think it all started yeah. this have you heard of uncle roger he's like really big on oh tiktok my god, yes. <laughs> oh my god I love him because he is the yeah. face yeah msg in 2023 he is yes he's rebranding msg for us i mean i don't know if it's really gonna emotional damage Damage. yeah i love it oh my goodness so funny wow that's wild yeah that's wild yeah so that's about msg so next moving on to gmo so this is genetically modified organism so in layman's term, it basically means a plant breeder would introduce a desirable trait into the crop in a controlled environment. So one of the examples would be, um, you know, for a desirable trait is uh, resistance to insects uh, or uh, drought tolerance or it enhances nutrients. So these are some of the examples, yeah? And uh, there is this um, GMO crop it's called Arctic apple. So what it is, it's a non-browning apple. Yeah, so it produces fruit wastage. So GMO basically, it kind of saves environment. That's why it's there. It's it's for the farmers. GMO is required for the farmers so they could yield more crops in in their land. It could so that it could be, 
withstand different climate conditions. So right. it's not that bad. People believe it to be. I think we're uh, led to almost believe that it's like this scientifically like almost like a Spider-Man. <laughs> like, you know, he gets bitten and he turns into something like completely yeah, different. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I do understand why people think like that because it's they'll be like, oh, it's unnatural. Why would I consume it? Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. you need to understand that GMO is not a recent discovery. Our ancestors has been they they have been genetically modifying crops by selective breeding, so and that's why we're able to enjoy bananas and right. corn. So wow. like you know, just try to Google what crops looked before they were genetically modified. You will be quite amazed by how bananas looked or how a corn looked. <laughs> yeah, I think that's so interesting to think yeah. about actually the term and what it actually means like it's yeah. still it's still natural it's not like it's not so far removed we're not like injecting it with all these chemicals and things oh, right. I think that's sometimes yeah. what I know that I've I've had that mindset before like oh no we're yeah. they're just if it's GMO it's obviously being injected with millions of different chemicals and that's going to make yeah. it unsafe for me yeah. and I think that fear around safety and health is very yeah. real which I don't blame people having that at all but it is just yeah taking yeah a but honestly understand. right now as of now GMO there are only about 13 crops that are recognized as GMO so sometimes you would see non-GMO label on a product but it wouldn't contain any GMO in the first place because there are only 13 crops. But I guess this non-GMO uh, labeling has is being used as a marketing label right now. Absolutely. And, That's such yeah. a great point, actually. If yeah. it doesn't include it, just whack it on the label. Because, yeah. I mean, again, people like myself will look at it and be like, oh, this is great it doesn't contain yeah. xxx which it wouldn't yeah. anyway <laughs> yeah <laughs> for example imagine someone like this. labeling non-gm on a milk but yeah like... <laughs> it's, it's not, not gonna be <laughs> no milk is not gmo anyway so yeah. <laughs> exactly it's all marketing yeah. um and then organic what yeah what and does that actually organic mean? farming yeah so yeah um, in organic farming, they do not use any synthetic pesticides, uh, but they still use pesticides, even if it's natural. It doesn't tell anything about safety. Uh, but in terms of nutrients, it's more or less the same as conventional crops, you know, and about the environment. Um, I would say that conventional farming uses less land to grow more crops than organic farming. Oh, wow, and, that's interesting. Yeah. So um, unless if you have, I mean, obviously there's nothing wrong in organic farming. People say it's more ethical, but again, that's questionable because you you need to look into how, I don't know, avocados, how they are grown. Even though they're not fit for the climate, they would, you know, the farmers, they use different methods to still grow them. And the end of the day, I think what appeals people towards organic farming is that it's more ethical but guess it's still questionable yeah. yeah so but if you have the money to spend on organic 
food like you do you like you're there's absolutely nothing to worry about but like you need to remember that uh conventional food are not that bad obviously you would worry that there are fertilizers in it or pesticides in it but they're still being used in organic farming as well right see that's yeah, a huge thing that unless if you grow it behind your you know in your backyard that's a different case i mean but that can't feed the whole population <laughs> When it comes to choosing between organic food or non-organic food, I think sometimes there can be a lot of guilt around like choosing the non-organic version because it's like, am I doing it a service to my health? Or if you're feeding little ones, like, oh, am I doing it as a service to them? Am I giving them loads of pesticides? Am I disrupting my hormones? But as you said, there's actually not that much in it. From no, and there are so many research right now on conventional farming which states that it's absolutely safe to consume the pesticide the pesticide that they use apparently just not even one percent of it gets into the food right wow yeah so the amount of like because that's how they're protected uh so you don't have to really worry about you know your you know you, you consuming pesticides yeah it's just it's absolutely safe to consume um and you know what we need to really focus on instead of if you're consuming pesticides or not. I mean, that is a very important conversation, but there are research already debunking that. But what you need to focus on is how would you, how well can you eat? How can you include all those vegetables in your diet or like fruits in your diet? I think I feel more and more people should talk about that, encourage people on eating the right diet instead of just focusing on like a very little thing which doesn't really matter. I love that. Yeah, kind of zoom out on the bigger picture instead of the like, minutia yeah. of because oh. that 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 that's what affects your health in the end of the day. You know. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's a really great point. So another thing I wanted to talk about with you yeah. is sugar. Mm -hmm. And you know the trope that sugar yeah. is as bad as cocaine. I recently mm -hmm. watched a documentary and it had that image that we've all seen of two brains, yeah. one brain on cocaine, one brain on sugar, and they're both mm -hmm. lit up. And that's absolutely terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> we all are aware that cocaine is obviously not good for our health at all um yeah. but then does this mean that sugar is literally having the same effect on our health as cocaine please clarify <laughs> <laughs> i've just eaten a chocolate yeah. <laughs> a chocolate biscuit and yeah. cookie so i would love to know <laughs> okay do you know what else triggers the same part of the brain when you compare it with cocaine no please tell me falling in love oh okay <laughs> yeah so falling in love kind of impacts your cognitive region of the brain and it induces a similar euphoric sensation to what is you know to that felt by individual under the influence of cocaine now you wouldn't walk around saying oh falling in love is Harmful. I mean, <laughs> well, <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, I'm just saying, like, it's just you cannot 
So using words like addiction is very serious. Mm-hmm. Just because a part of your brain shows that okay, it's sim- that it has a similar pattern of that of cocaine. People who are under the influence of cocaine, it doesn't mean it's it's the same thing. Right. Yeah. yeah. Present in the same way. Yeah. And, and I, then I'm not. Yeah. I'm. Yeah. I'm not saying sugar is like in the end of the day like obviously there are studies that shows like consuming large amount of sugar kind of like impacts your health yeah I understand that bit but comparing it as an addiction because addiction term itself is so powerful and it's very serious and you just cannot use such terms just like that you know yeah and I wonder if that actually kind of takes away from somebody who is who has an addiction to drugs that's kind of diminishing their experience when you're saying oh well it's just as bad as oh yeah you know what I'm addicted yeah correct yeah yeah so that's actually doing a disservice to other people who are struggling as well so that's yeah that's really interesting yeah um yeah absolutely so whilst we're on that kind of information listening to information from different sources and stuff (laughs) um I mean there's always going to be attention grabbing headlines anywhere we get look um like in the media and often they will cite literature like scientific literature but Mm -hmm. um can we still just take these as kind of just as the truth because they've cited uh, it could be from like the BMJ which is obviously you know peer-reviewed all of this but can we just take this as is or do we still need to approach with caution is there anything we need to be mindful of when consuming statistics um yeah Mm -hmm. um I mean yeah you're absolutely right that attention grabbing headlines and social media posts referencing scientific studies are quite common I mean however it's essential to approach them with caution so Firstly, I'll be amazed if someone actually cites studies. Yeah. <laughs> it's very rare that I see that. Mm. Um, so, and if they do not cite study, it becomes very difficult for like normal people to really research on that topic to see where their sources are from. Mm-hmm. But in case, if they have cited the study, there are few things you can keep in mind. And this is for anyone who want to really like dive into what research looks like yeah so firstly you need to see what type of study it is and what type of study they have mentioned so if it's an rct uh that is randomized control trial so it's the highest level of evidence to establish casual association with clinical research and then um or if it's an rct or if it's a rogen study uh, Often I've seen that people make such like big claims, a big post just based on a rodent study. You need to remember that we're not rats, you know. We're (laughs) (laughs) humans. You cannot you can you cannot associate the conclusion to like us humans. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh and then uh, if you want to deep dive more, you could look into the study design, 
and the methodology. So this is very crucial when you are reading a research paper. So um, instead of just reading summary of a research paper, you know, uh, you need to, instead of that, just look into the sample size, the dropout rates, the duration of the studies, the data collected. These are very important things that you need to go through, I mean, look into the study. And it says a lot about the quality of the research. The, yeah, that's about it. And then take the time to understand the full context of the research, maybe, and consider the conflicting studies on the same topic to have a better understanding of what that research is, just so that you're not biased, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's so yeah. helpful. I think it's, yeah. it's quite easy to look at something and say, you know, it's been cited. And it's, again, it's nobody's fault. We're not all right. researchers. Yeah. We've not yeah. all got a, a background in in this so like oh you know you would just take it it's actually more the due diligence of the person that's published the article mm -hmm. but obviously they have their own biases so they will look for certain things so yeah just keeping mm -hmm. that mindful awareness of of what's being published and like you said the context of everything uh, and yeah sample sizes demographics blah, blah, blah. is it in a rat <laughs> yeah yeah so that's really helpful yeah for sure and then um yeah and the next thing you could um uh, maybe keep in mind that if the claim is based on a correlation research study or a causation i mean i could like people get really confused because they think that correlation is causation when they're not. So for an example, I just have, this is a random example that I'm giving you just to make it easier for you to understand what correlation means. So for example, in summer season, people love to dance. So that's a correlation. Whereas a causation would look like in summer season, more people get sunburns. So that's a causation. Right. So it's kind of like the different steps to really dissect and understand what that particular research paper is all about it's not easy it's not meant for everyone to understand and it's absolutely okay but if you're someone who doesn't want to deep dive into research work and just want to know how to spot pseudoscience mm -hmm. then there are like a few steps so number one is to see if they're demonizing any food group something that sounds like really bizarre so for example if this person or an influencer is not like her whole post is dedicated towards demonizing carbohydrates and like stay away from carbs and you need to start your day with fat you know something really bizarre like a butter in your coffee which doesn't really make sense so that's again a red flag maybe that you could point that out number two is um if they mention that this food product is toxic so if someone's someone tries to tell you that a food ingredient is toxic without being able to tell you the concentration at which the chemical occurs in the food and the dose that it that is toxic they either have no idea what they are talking about or they're trying to deceive you or they're trying to send you something and i've been seeing this trend on tiktok like where this dude on like he goes to the grocery store and he'll take a food packet and then he'll start stating all the ingredients in the product and saying this is toxic this is toxic this is toxic without even mentioning what 
is toxicity is i mean just because something is an ingredient um, exists in the product it doesn't tell you if it's toxic or not because everything has its own like threshold like for example even water could be toxic if you consume it in a very large amount right absolutely <laughs> oh my goodness yeah and uh, the last bit is whether something is natural it doesn't tell you about the safety of a product so for example yeah apple seed it contains um um i'm like i'm like i'm like i'm sorry <laughs> it contains the magdalen yeah so it, it was once used uh for cancer research and then they had to ban this because it caused cyanide poisoning but i'm not telling <laughs> you right now I'm not, I'm not trying to say that uh dosage matters mm-hmm. i'm just saying i mean i'm just saying that just because something is natural it doesn't mean that it's safe mm-hmm. everything has its own upper limit right okay. Yeah, you can safely consume apple, don't worry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I've heard that about like shrimp as well. And like there's lots Her, of yeah. things, isn't that? So that upper limit. Yeah. That's so such a good thing to like bear in mind. Cause I do think that we often the person like on TikTok or yeah. whatever, they're like, this is toxic, this is toxic, and it's very fear-mongering. Yeah. But as you said, absolutely. Are you citing like how much? of this toxic chemical is and what we can tolerate like smarter than that like (laughs) and it does I suppose yeah we forget that nature has things that could be harmful to us as well so in that upper limit that you described yeah that's so interesting oh my goodness thank you so much I felt like we covered so much oh (laughs) thank you so many things yeah I feel like it's a lot of excuse my pun I'm just gonna say anyway a lot of food (laughs) for thought yeah Yeah. (laughs) oh sorry it was so cringe but um yeah there's so much to think about and um especially for me personally really digging into that neutralizing of my language around food and stuff like I've definitely come leaps and bounds away but every now and then I'll still catch myself so like digging back into that work is really really great and a really great reminder um yeah is there anything you would like to add well um just live your life don't take every I mean don't stress about every little ingredient in a food obviously it's absolutely necessary to hit that fiber in your diet you need to consider that the amount of fruits and vegetables you're having in your diet also include pleasure food in your diet Um, enjoy the chocolate it's absolutely okay and get on with the day and carry some snacks so that you can sustain throughout the day like nuts apples yeah I mean just don't stress about every little thing I love that that's so nice yeah just just pause (laughs) don't stress oh thank you so much for joining me I've really enjoyed this conversation 
have a beautiful rest of your day. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me today. As with everything in life, take what lands and leave what doesn't. If you enjoyed this episode, I would be so grateful if you could leave a review. You can connect with me. I'm at Cat Does Wellness on Instagram and Facebook. And visit www.catdoeswellness.com for free resources, blog entries, and more. Until next time, from my heart to yours. <laughs>